And welcome, everybody. Sorry we're a little bit late. We had some technical problems. Kevin and I will tell you about in just a second. Kevin Bass is my guest today, and he's a young man whose tweets I caught. I don't know how. I just sort of came upon them, and I thought, huh. Interesting. I'm interested in what young medical students are thinking. He also is a scientist and carefully trained. I will tell you some of his training in a back in a second. Uh, he has a degree in medical anthropology and biology from uh, UT Texas, UT Austin, a master's in immunology, and is working at MD PhD. I think he's a third year medical student presently, and uh, he'll tell you all about that. Plus, he's had medical misadventures of his own, and he's had marked turnarounds in his in his position and opinions about COVID, lockdown, vaccines. And so I'm really interested in sort of understanding what those changes were like for him and where he was to begin with and where he is now and what we can do about it. I just, I think we need to listen to some young voices. And so this is an opportunity to do so. We'll be right back. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Reminder that we'll be back tomorrow with Kelly Victory and Dr. Peter McCullough making a sort of a uh, checkup uh, back with him. That is tomorrow. Uh, Nicole Sapphire coming in on Monday. Nicole Petrovsky next Tuesday. And uh, then we have some travel to do with that. But we appreciate your patience today. As I said, uh, Kevin Bass is uh, degreed in anthropology and biology and immunology and graduate level and is now an MD, PhD. And uh, his substack is Kevin Bass, B-A-S-S. -S. His Twitter is Kevin N. Bass. And uh, COVID commentary slash substack.com as well. So please welcome Kevin Bass. There you are. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. It's a pleasure. So I, I can't figure out how I caught sight of your tweets in the first place. Sometimes I'll just start following people. Something catches my eye about the way they're thinking or the kinds of things they're thinking about. And you were one of those people. Uh, so first of all, set the record straight so people can't... Uh, dive into their BS about you. You're not a doctor yet. You're not a physician yet. You Are you a third-year medical student? Or are you a second-year medical student? Where are you in your training? That's right. I just defended my PhD in March, uh, did the dissertation, oral defense, all that stuff. Uh, and then I've just been waiting for the you know past seven weeks to start the third year of medical school. <clears throat> Great. And what was your PhD in? Uh, it's, it's in the uh, cell biology department. Uh, I look at the physical regulation of something called ketogenesis and uh, regulated different than it uh, often had been thought to be in the uh, biochemistry. 
So I, I that you broke up completely. You may have to that. refresh and come back. Yeah, but hang on. Let me just let me just uh, make sure I, I got what you said, which essentially you're looking at some of the more um, not, not the more classical pathways of ketogenesis. You're looking at ketogenesis, the full spectrum of how it's physiologically present in the body. Would that be about accurate? Yes, exactly. We've shown through knockout models that ketogenesis is actually partially regulated, not just by the liver as it's traditionally thought, but also by the colon, maybe about 20% of circulating ketones during fasting come from the colon. And that's something novel for non-ruminant uh, mammalian species. That's interesting. I, I wonder if, okay, we, we can go down a big rabbit hole here, but uh, <laughs> in the setting of, 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 of so terrible ketosis, like, like uh, sepsis or, or alcoholic ketosis or ketoacidosis from diabetics, I'm guessing that's more liver, no? Uh, it that would be my, yeah, yeah. That would be my assumption that the predominant source of that is probably going to be from the liver. I would be very surprised if there's a strong colonic contribution to ketoacidosis, but it, it's, but it's okay. possible. Fair I don't think anybody knows at this point. I, I just have a feeling that's where, that's where that convention came from. I bet you that's often the way it is in medicine. We find stuff in a pathological setting. We go, ah, there it is. Mm. That's it. That's how it works. And sometimes it doesn't work when people aren't sick the same way. So, all right. So tell me about what you were thinking about COVID and what changed your mind. You, I, I could tell by the way you write your tweets, you're a scientist. Uh, and I and you've been very careful to talk about, to point out that you you don't have your clinical training yet, but it, it you're looking forward to it, and and we'll talk about your misadventure in medicine and and what your sort of goals are in medicine because I think that's fascinating. But first, talk to me about COVID, what your original idea was, and how you switched. So, like a lot of people, I um, I firmly believed that the authorities uh, and the public medical establishment. Um, I believed what they said. I believed we should follow what they were saying. I believed we needed to try to see lives as possible. I realized at the beginning of COVID that there were going to be trade-offs, economic trade-offs, as we know from uh, the famous Stat News article by John Ioannidis. But even before the article, I was obvious to any economy that COVID was going to have some downsides. The lockdowns and the, the um, response to COVID was going to have downsides. Nonetheless, I thought uh, matter if you know the gdp goes down by you know a billion dollars or, or or a few billion dollars however much it's going to decrease if uh we can save lives so saving lives needs to be the primary focus the primary thing that we need to be we need to do everything possible to save lives and that includes doing things that we don't necessarily know that there's any evidence for but uh it looks like it it can't have great harm uh, lives should be paramount. Anybody who believes that saving lives shouldn't be paramount may have some sort of weird ideology where they think that the vulnerable, the weak, the sick should die. Uh, those kinds of people are weird, and in fact, they're not. They're they're evil, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so the good guys, the good guys are the ones who want to save lives and do as much as possible and intervene as much as possible, and the bad guys are the ones who may have some weird alternatives and some strange value systems. And this literally was the way that I think, I think uh, now a lot of people uh, who, who, who criticize me uh, probably put me in the group of, of people who have these weird and bad bums. It's a very strange thing. So, so let, let me, let me drill in a little bit on, on your good guy, bad guy thinking. 
Um, were you one of yeah. the people saying one one death is too many? One death is too many. Something I heard a million times. Were you were you okay? So how did you reconcile that? I, I want I really want to know this. Pandemics are defined by excess death. So how can you say, how were you able to say at that time, one death is too many? That, that would mean we were no longer in a pandemic. And so th that was very confusing to me. It's like in a pandemic, people are going to die and we do the best we can to mitigate that. We do the best we can. But people were walking around saying one death is too many. And that was, physicians were saying that. And that was confusing to me. How did you reconcile that? Well, I, I thought, uh, and I, I think as a lot of people, and I think the policy was based on this, I thought, well, look at China, look what China's doing. Uh, once their, their outbreaks happened, once they realized there was a problem, they stopped uh, sort of suppressing that knowledge in their population. They locked down everything. They were going around with, uh, with uh, like disinfectant everywhere around the cities. They had sort yeah, of a military ridiculous. level lockdown. Um, it was ridiculous, but... but but, but, but a lot of people on my camp and a lot of people who still believe this, they still believe this, uh, believed that uh, if we did something like that, we could have saved that, what, one, one million, more than right. one million so, uh, American so, lives that we lost. Yeah. So, so yeah, L let me show you the graph that China put out. If you could put out the uh, uh, Sanger's book on the screen here. Th this was the graph that, that uh, the Chinese uh, Communist Party put out as how what happened during their lockdown to COVID cases. So it's on the cover of this book. It's the yellow line that's going to show up on this book. I'm sorry to spring that on you, Caleb. But essentially, it just went up, 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 and then flat. Zero cases when the, when the Communist Party locked down, which, of course, there it is. That yellow line under Xi Jinping's, above Xi Jinping's name and under his picture, that was the claim of their epidemiology during the pandemic, during the lockdown, which was insanely insanely distorted lie and why anybody accepted that as fact over here was also confusing to me so that happened uh, and then so here we are uh, the people are expecting lockdowns to work expecting masks to work even though these are terms that had never been contemplated before these are things never contemplated in human history right uh, i mean when, what what if i had come to you i'm really fascinated by this what if i had come to you when you were, and I appreciate your you know, honesty and looking at all these parts for me, because I think we all have to analyze what we've been through here. What if I had come to you when you were uh, advocating for a Chinese-style lockdown and I were to say, look, the, the six feet distancing, made up concept. Social distancing, made up concept. There's nothing in epidemiology or infectious disease that has ever substantiated either of those things. Why don't we protect the vulnerable? That's who's dying. Why don't we protect the vulnerable? What, what would you have said if I'd come at you with that? So the first thing I would say about the the part where you said there's no evidence, I would say, well, yeah, there's no evidence, but we have to do something. And it makes sense. And since we don't have any evidence, we need to just do as, as much as possible. That seems relatively reasonable. Why are you so worried about being inconvenienced by not being able to be within six feet of other people? Yeah. Do you want people do you want people to die? Is that what you want? Uh, yeah. That would that would be so, the the the, <laughs> the first response. Right. And then and so to, and let's keep uh, going. Let's yeah. keep going with it. So what if I said you, no? I think what you, what would be more effective is every time you see a chair, you should walk around it twice. Uh, <laughs> why don't you just do that? Okay. And 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 it's about as effective. Uh, and and so I I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something now. Um, as somebody who taught medical students and residents for many many years, 
Do not ever do anything because just you have to do something. That's how you harm people. That is an that is an absolute categorical rule in clinical medicine. I screamed at students and residents about this for 20 years. If you feel you have to do something just to do something, you will harm people. You do everything because you know exactly why you did it. You have evidence for having done it. And then you have a backup plan, also evidence-based, when your plan doesn't work. That's how you t t deal with medicine. And you do things just to do things, you will hurt people. Now, because I worked in mental health, and you and I are going to talk about that in a second, I knew the mental health consequences of this would be profound, profound. And I knew the fact that they were locking down schools, profound. And then I watched in California, businesses closing and jobs being lost. I, For me, the the businesses around Disneyland were sort of the symbol for me of how far we had gone. Just thousands of jobs just being just trashed and businesses being trashed. And that those were lives that were going to be destroyed for telling people to walk around the chair twice just because we have to do something. Yeah. Um, so it's funny that uh, it's almost like we're having a debate uh, of the old me with you. And with your old you. I know. I love you. it. I, I know. <laughs> I, I love that because it's, it's the old me and current me too. But but I love it because it, it lets us dissect this thing. You, you, that's what I was so interested in talking to you. I want to I want to talk to the old you. I want to understand wh where this was all coming from. And it's and it's but I, but more than anything, please, when you go forth in medicine, people did things to you when you were younger and look how they harmed you. You know what I'm saying? They had to do something. Look what they did to you. That, that's yeah. that's how that shit happens. But go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I'm 100% on the same page uh, as you about this. In fact, before uh, COVID happened, I was on that kind of frequency. That's part of actually what got me out of this way of thinking, especially with Vinay Prasad's tweets. He really... Uh, help to inspire me to sort of break free of that, of that, I think can be very harmful way of thinking of just try to do something. Um, you know, uh, there were models that, that, that existed, uh, as much as I think the Chinese, uh, they lied about a lot of things. Uh, if you talk to people who are in China, especially, I don't know, the middle of 2020, all the way up through early 2023 or this year, um, it seemed from talking to them, from it seemed that they were having success. Now, I don't know if you can trust the official statistics, uh, but from the scientists that I know that were living in China, they were having some success. And in fact, if you also think about New Zealand and Australia, they were having, they had some success as far as uh, preventing infection was concerned. Uh, we didn't have very good, much good data, but we just said, okay, since they seem to be having success, we'll just copy what they're doing. Um, but we didn't ask the question, as you're pointing out, what are the downsides of these things and how effective are they going to be in the American context? So Michael thinks, uh, we it, talked about Michael Singer's book earlier, Michael thinks yeah. that, uh, that, that lockdowns aren't effective at all. I think that in some contexts with a certain level of severity, if you go like brutal and the whole population is on board and then like you're, you're having police out and stuff like that, I think that lockdowns can there's still a case to be made that lockdowns in some context can work. But in the American context, uh, I just, I think the over, the data overwhelmingly have shown that lockdowns are not associated with reductions in COVID deaths. And that's probably because uh, they're just not properly suited for the American context or the, the, the particular context in we live. We, we value our freedoms or, too or, much. And, um, or, 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 or they're not suited to a respiratory virus. It, it, it in the fa in fact a and this is the argument uh, 
and and it's the same thing with mask wearing is that you can you if you wear that n95 properly fitted perfectly 100 percent of the time yeah you can have an impact with that but that's not something any human ever does <laughs> except when they're sort of walking in and out of a patient room then you can do it for a few minutes and then people are good with that but doing it day in day out you know throughout their life it, it just doesn't get done that way but but i want to i want to well, there's one other point i wanted to make about uh shoot my aging brain uh, uh, oh, it's that I, this is what I'm, I'm willing to concede also is that for sure lockdowns can slow viruses for sure. And, and you could argue that it might have reduced some of the consequence of alpha and delta. That, that is an argument that I'm, I think is, is a, you could entertain that argument, but this idea that you're going to stop the pandemic, a respiratory virus pandemic with lockdowns is just fallacious. It's just, it's just no evidence that that's anything like that could work. And it's never been thought right. of. In, in, the only time it's been thought of was in the 11th century, and it was a catastrophe. It's never been done otherwise. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, before the pandemic hit, if you look at all the pandemic simulations that the government and various different academic institutions yeah. did, they never talked about yeah. lockdown seriously. There, there was sort of like yep. a non-canonical notion that something like this was conceivably possible, but nobody ever talked about it yep. seriously. Um, in many of these simulations, they weren't brought up at all. In fact, they would have fierce debates about things like travel restrictions and trade restrictions. That's where their line yep. was drawn. And suddenly, because China did it, uh, the line got draw, drawn elsewhere. And it's very interesting that if you look at excess mortality above baseline, percent excess mortality above baseline, although it seems to be the case that perhaps in China and, and, and New Zealand and, and Australia, that may be... Uh, Maybe early on, it might have been the case that they did better than other countries. If you look at that yeah. mortality from 2020 all the way to 2023, in fact, one of the lockdown, one of the countries that had the fewest lockdowns, the fewest mandates, the fewest restrictions, Sweden, where everything was voluntary and people were recommended to mm -hmm. do certain things, uh, they have the, actually the best excess mortality. And in fact, by 2023, the excess mortality of Australia, which had a zero COVID policy, actually exceeds from 2020 to 2023, exceeds that of Sweden. So it turns out that, yeah. as you're pointing out, uh, you can't trap these respiratory viruses. Maybe you can do it in the short term, but what are you going to do after years or, or after months right. and months of time when people That's exactly want, want these things to be over? Yeah. And then you add on yeah. top of that, then you add on top of the fact that you locked down and maybe slowed the spread and then you're going to catch up later. You add on top of that the negative effects of lockdowns. For example, people are going to lose their jobs. People aren't going to have anything to do. Um, uh, in America, there were perhaps as many thousand excess deaths from things like drug overdoses, uh, accidents oh, from yeah. vehicles, uh, alcohol, alcohol abuse, uh, and there was an increase in homicides, firearms. So you have, yep. in addition to what is in some ways an inevitable fact of respiratory viruses, this is Ebola where you can lock it down and get rid of it. It's going to stay yep. around. Um, yep. You add on top of that the negative effects of the things that you shouldn't have done in the first place to try to prevent uh, what was inevitable. So... Yes, we have now, as of 2021, a JAMA article last week, 57% of teen girls report feeling persistently sad or hopeless, 19%, no, 30% report serious suicidal ideation. That is a medical mental health catastrophe, and we did that to them. We should be, we should, it be, should be a, a national emergency, and why we're not focused on that, and it's going it, to, again, you know, excess mortality is still up. It's not because of COVID.
Yeah, it's um, it it. And by the way, there are animal reservoirs. Do we kill all animals? Is that going to be in our in our plan too? Every animal is dead. The lions, the tigers, the dogs, the cats. Everybody dead. Is that it? We got to kill all them because they might expose us to something. Well, they slaughtered all the minks in Denmark. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they did. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but but the point yeah, is yeah. that there's many reservoirs. That that's the thing about these respiratory viruses. This is not, it's not a rational approach. And I don't know if you know, but the real reason we went for it was Italy, the the Lombardy right. po politicians that locked down Lombardy, ill-advised, based on the Chinese uh, uh, sort of uh, experience. And the politician that pulled the trigger on it wrote a book that was quickly pulled off the shelves. Michael Singer, you mentioned earlier, has a copy of it where he says explicitly he did not believe he was going to be able to affect COVID with the lockdown. He had just such admiration for the Chinese Communist Party and their policies that he wanted to use this opportunity to bring that kind of policy to Italy. So there you go. He did not expect it to affect uh, COVID, and it didn't. So here we are. So how did you change? What happened? Um, so I... Uh, and. I think you've alluded to this earlier, but um, because of the things that happened when I was a kid, I was very—I've been very interested in misinformation. Uh, you know, I was on Twitter, but then every time I would log on Twitter, I'd realize like half the stuff I'm reading is is total nonsense. And then I started thinking, yeah. well, uh, if it's total nonsense and people are doing these things as a result of the things that they're reading online, which they are, there's big giant like online cults of people doing really weird things for their health uh that that in some cases are counterproductive or harmful um if they're doing these things then we need to make sure or it would be best if if they stopped like it would be best if they had better information so that they uh, would do the right things for their health so it if we can correct misinformation, then people can make better choices about their health because they know what the real options are as opposed to the fake options, the fake options that are gonna cause potential harm. So then I started becoming very, um, almost obsessed with this. So I would, uh, for about like the, the previous five years before, before now, I've been online debunking a lot of health misinformation from all sorts of different areas. I usually focus on some of the most popular kinds of health misinformation because I know that's the way it'll make uh, the biggest potential impact. But at some point, I think it was in early 2022, I realized that a lot of people don't really want to hear me criticizing other uh, health influencers. What they want to hear is what can they do positive for their health? So instead of just debunking other people, I started to try to say things that were um, going to be beneficial or helpful for people to use in their own lives. Well, just so it turns out, once I, I changed my orientation in that respect and I started saying things that were like, okay, here are some of the things that you can do or here's what the research suggests that you can do for your health, uh, then I started getting uh, debunked on my own by the uh, debunking community. Um, I was very careful with the literature, the way I read it. I wasn't reading it in a haphazard way. I wasn't uh, using a bunch of speculation. Sometimes I would uh, cite uh, papers that were published by FDA, in fact, uh, and then I would say, here's what FDA is saying, and I would still be uh, debunked. And basically what was happening is that certain popular ideas or certain uh, notions that were kind of ideologically based uh, were um, those pe people had those sorts of ideas and they were using those sorts of ideas uh, as sort of their foundation for thinking that the things that I was saying are wrong. Um, 
because mm-hmm. they have they have consensus in, in some other respect or according to some other group on the internet. Uh, therefore, I'm wrong. So a really good example of this is I got into some to make it concrete. I got into some dispute about sunscreen. So. As everybody knows, there's two kinds of sunscreens, mineral and chemical sunscreen. Well, in 19, uh, sorry, in 2019, 2018, 2019, uh, the FDA published two papers where they showed if you put on the, the sunscreen all over the body of the chemical sunscreen, you leave it on for a little while, the level, the concentrations at which the chemicals uh, are in the blood exceed a certain limit. That's called the level of concern, according to the FDA, at which they need to do more safety studies. They, the FDA didn't know this until they published these studies, but once they published these studies showing the con- the blood concentrations of these chemicals got too high above this level of concern, um, then they started to want to do these exercise studies for, for example, on uh, childhood development, uh, sorry, um, development in the womb, teratogenesis, carcinogenesis, other sorts of things that they hadn't done previously. All I did was report this. And then I said, the FDA is currently looking at this issue. This doesn't mean that these sunscreens are necessarily unhealthy. It just exceeds this level of concern at which FDA becomes more concerned. It's going to do more studies. Then it started becoming interpreted that I was saying chemical sunscreens are unsafe, but that wasn't what I was saying. I was just saying that uh, chemical (laughs) sunscreens, uh, you know, there's this ongoing science, but because I wasn't fitting within the box of like, Oh, yeah. we want everybody to wear sunscreens. You're dissuading people from wearing sunscreens. You're anti-chemical. You're anti-science. Even yep. though yep. I wasn't, I was being scientific. Got put in logic box. It was put in a box by people who are very well respected in this community, within the community of like looking at uh, misinformation about cosmetics, etc. And I got like unfollowed, and I got like uh, I got uh, dunked on quite a lot. Um, over the course of, of days by people who I had previously respected. I didn't understand like why they were doing things like this happened over and over again in all sorts of other domains. And, and for example, for plant-based diets and veganism, et cetera, there's these mm-hmm. ideological perspectives. If you start to question yep. them by using science, by using science, yep. people who are not necessarily particularly scientifically inclined, but are more inclined to sort of like want the best for people, want people to do the best things for themselves, but they don't actually know how to read the science, they'll start to criticize you and yep. say you're bad. And unfortunately, a lot of the evidence-based community on uh, in medicine online is this way. There are a lot of real scientists as well, but there is a really strong contingent of people who behave this way, and they really actually dislike science. They dislike people educated of different interventions that are considered consensus. So when that happened, I started to realize, hey, wait a second, the people who I thought are sort of on my team, they're on like team debunk or team science. Uh, these people are actually ideological. Like people are not necessarily promoting science. And once they started to see that, once they started to, uh, and I retweeted uh, one of uh, Elon's posts, the, his one where he said, um, uh, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. I re- retweeted this because I thought it was an entertaining tweet. I thought the perspective was that he was, um, saying was was interesting to pay attention to. It was novel to me. I also um, was starting to question COVID a little bit more at this time. Then what happened is I got a huge pile on on me. People said that I was a grifter. I was saying all these terrible things. And I was like, wait a second. I'm just trying to, um, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything wrong. I'm trying to think about COVID. And then at that point, uh, that, that, that had been the accumulation of several different months of me starting to question COVID. And then I wrote this apology uh, thread on Twitter that's pinned to my uh, my uh, it's pinned to my profile, and you know I wrote my Newsweek article. I went and talked, and I've I've, I've been uh, 
it's a, it's a weird thing to realize the group of people that you once thought were the good guys are, you know, um, there is just as much corruption on as there is on any other side. So that's what I'll say. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I hate to, you know, I don't want you to be uh, cynical and skeptical going into the profession, but but I will tell you, terms like evidenced base gets gets um, used as a cudgel. Uh, ideology, yes. I don't understand why humans don't understand why ideology always harms human beings if it's not founded mm. in good science. And that science changes constantly. And things like standard of care, I have seen hurt countless people. So whenever I hear about policies that are holding physicians to a standard, a consensus standard of care, you needn't look no further than psychosurgery in the 50s and the opiate crisis in the 90s. Those were standards of care, harmed millions of people. We're still trying to dig out from the opiate crisis. And, and it, it's, it is, it needs to be constantly dispassionate, much the way that's, I think what caught my attention with your stuff. You were just dispassionate and analyzing and just trying to figure it out. And you came to some conclusions and, and it, it can't have a political bent. Unfortunately it does, but it shouldn't have any sort of politics. Yeah. It shouldn't have any sort of camps or, or, or tribes associated with it. It should, and, and it can be very heated too in science. Of course, people can have varying different opinions. But but it it shouldn't be ever thus saith the Lord, uh, and unfortunately, people in authority were taking that position, and have harmed un God knows how many people. I'm going to take a little break in just a second here, but I, I appreciate your story, and uh, I had a kind of a similar evolution with as my relationship with Dr. Fauci because I was such an admirer of him during the AIDS pandemic. That was I was very active during that, and he was just a guiding light. And I said from the beginning, just listen to the CDC, listen to Fauci, they'll get us through this. Stop stop listening to the press. Stop listening to the press conferences. Stop it. Just let the people have their opinion. And and now when I hear Fauci disavowing, you know, any of his recommendations as having had impact, I wonder if he was didn't understand how the press used his words and how state governments used them as again, not to overuse a term, but as cudgels. Uh, in, in an absolute uh, mass formation as a panic. And uh, we have to have safeguards in place to prevent that from happening, or we will do, once again, unknown amounts of harm. It's, you know, our call in medicine, Kevin, is do no harm. That is our numero uno priority, number one. And when you do things just to do things, you're guaranteed to do harm, guaranteed. Uh, and that's just the way, you know, the, the clinical practice works. So I'm going to be back with Kevin. He's got a long story, well, an interesting story to tell us about his own uh, misadventure in medicine as a patient, which I'm anxious to hear. We'll be right back after this. With Mother's Day quickly approaching, what better way to express your love than by giving the gift of younger-looking, beautiful skin with the luxurious feel of Genucel skincare? Susan, who is a huge fan of the brand, has raved about their Ultra Retinol product, which contains powerful retinol alternative, Bakukiol, and a proprietary MDL technology to soothe irritation and target red blotchy skin. Additionally, their under eye treatment is perfect for hiding those pesky bags and puffiness that can result from long flights or lack of sleep. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. 
Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel Redness Repair Intensive during a recent unplanned moment of our show. Repairing my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's just how fast this stuff works. Celebrate the special mom in your life today by visiting genucel.com slash Drew and check out the personalized packages from Susan and from myself bundled with our favorite Genucel products. And remember to use the promo code Drew for an extra 10% off. All orders are upgraded to free shipping. Plus, if you order now, every package purchased gets a free spring spa package with three of Genucel's best-selling spa products ready to try in the comfort of your own home. Again, that's genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. Over the last few months, no doubt you've heard a lot about spike protein, certainly on this program. The reality is once lockdowns are well behind us, we will likely still be dealing with the effects of COVID and potentially the COVID-19 vaccines. Therefore, the spike protein may prove to be an important part of our story. With that in mind, I want to introduce you to the wellness company's spike support formula. Whether you've been vaccinated or not, spike protein may be something you have become concerned about. Good news is that there's some interesting research on how to potentially deal with it. Studies have suggested that natokinase and dandelion root are showing some potential in protecting you and your family. Our friend Dr. Peter McCullough and the team at the wellness company have the only product on the market that contains both natokinase and dandelion root. In addition to the natokinase and the dandelion root, the wellness company's spike support formula also includes natural antioxidant ingredients such as black sativa, extract, green tea, and iris sea moss, all thought to help boost immune health. Go to twc.health drew to order today. Use code drew at checkout for 10% off today. Inflation has consequences. As the Fed raises interest rates to combat out-of-control government spending, long-term bonds have diminished in value, crippling banks. Depositors are holding their breath and investors are bailing on bank stocks. Diversification has never been more important. The recent surge in gold prices is directly tied to the extreme market volatility right now. This is why gold has historically been a great hedge against the stock market and against inflation. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you do. Visit birchgold.com drew to get a free info kit on gold. They'll help you convert your existing IRA or 401k that is tied to a volatile market into an IRA in physical precious metals. I do not give financial advice and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is who you can trust to protect your future. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew today. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D, birchgold.com slash Drew. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we are back with uh, Kevin Bass. And Kevin, 
He's just defended his PhD. He's starting his third year in medical school. He has a medical anthropology degree. Or is it medical anthropology or just anthropology generally? It's anthropology, but my uh, honors thesis was specifically in an medical anthropology. I, I'm always, you know, one of the reasons um, I got interested in Jordan Peterson like 10 years ago was he was trying to pull together, it seemed to me, anthropology, psychology, uh, you know, and, 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 and to some extent, psychiatry. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by trying to pull these disciplines together because there's so much about the human experience that's really not entertained by the clinical side. And, and the anthropology has a lot of those observations. Definitely. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Jordan Peterson. And actually, I, I would like to uh, talk about uh, something that you mentioned before we uh, went to break. And I, I just couldn't sure. help but sure. think about this while, um, while the break was going on. But you mentioned how, um, you know, I, sh I shouldn't become cynical uh, just because I see or recognize or, or, or notice certain things in medicine that aren't perfect. And I just want to point out, sort of citing uh, Jordan Peterson, he, he's, he often mentions how um, many people think that they're good people. Uh, he says, you know, many people think that you're good people, but actually you need to realize sort of the darkness inside you. You need to realize you actually have a tendency or, or a potential to do, to do wrong things. And I think that uh, what I've seen or what we've seen in medicine, in society, uh, in various different experiences that we have that are sometimes negative, uh, we see the potential, you know, as in the way that that Jordan's talking about, we see the potential of people to do evil. And I think that when we see that potential to do evil, once we become more aware of it, it actually allows us to be better people. Because once we aware of the, mm. are aware of the ways that we uh, can be corrupted or do the wrong thing, or other people can be corrupted or do the wrong thing, then we can take steps or, or take measures to, to prevent those things from happening. So I actually would hope that what I'm saying is hopefully more of a positive message that once we identify the problems and, and, and the ways that we went wrong, then potentially we can uh, try to do things better and make the world a better place. I, I love that. That, that will, that will um, buffer you against cynicism, it would seem to me. So now, now tell, if you don't mind, tell us your personal story and, and um, uh, your, you know, the misadventure you went through. Yeah. So whenever I was, uh, you know, eight years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I was one of the, I was probably the smartest child in any of the classes, but, uh, I didn't, and I got all, you know, great grades and everything, but I like would just talk while the teacher's talking all the time. So I just, I wouldn't even <laughs> know that the teacher's talking. I didn't even have any idea that the teacher was talking. I was completely unaware right. of what the teacher was doing. And I would just like be talking and doing whatever I wanted to do um, without, without any sort of respect or awareness that that was probably inappropriate. Um, and they diagnosed with me with ADHD as a result of that, and they uh, put me on ADHD medications. So they started with, with Ritalin, and then they moved to Adderall. And at some point, I started having really bad mood swings. So I would be coming off of the medications in the, in the evening, and uh, I would have almost... Uh, I, like it's not I didn't I wasn't physically violent but uh the way that I talked and the way that I was behaving was mm -hmm. it was night and day com different compared to what I was before uh you were aggressive was, uh, very aggressive um and so then yeah. they they took me to a, a doc another doctor and then I was diagnosed with with 
uh, more severe things. So they started saying, oh, he has bipolar disorder because he has having these mood swings. So then they started giving me uh, mood stabilizers. And then they started giving me- And, and, and let uh, me say, like, well, hey, I, I got I to know the details of this because I spent many years working at a psych hospital. Did, did they mm -hmm. take you off the psychostimulants? No. No, because they had ADHD. Oh they have to treat the ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand, but that's what was inducing everything, of course. And, and yeah. you know, the, there there has been a tendency in psychiatry to label people as bipolar who are having drug-induced hypomanias and manias. And I'm not that to me. I I don't call anybody bipolar unless they've been you know without withdrawal or influence of a substance for at least six months. So there was a lot of that going on in those days. So okay, excellent. Yeah. So then, I, so then at that point, I was on like a mood stabilizer, an antidepressant because I started to like feel anxious about things as well. Uh, and I was on the the psychostimulant, and I couldn't gain weight. And they added something to help me gain weight, and they added something more for anxiety. So at some oh point, I was God. on six or seven different. Yeah, I was on six or seven different medications. Um, obviously, I didn't tolerate them very well. I especially hate, hated the way the the quote unquote mood stabilizers would make, I'd make they made me feel dumb. So I like mm. we kept changing things. Eventually, we changed to uh, lithium. So lithium has a very uh, narrow therapeutic uh, window, as you know. Uh, the mm. the concentrations of lithium at which you get a therapeutic effect on mood are also close to the concentrations at which you get toxicity. So you have to stay within this very narrow window in order to be therapeutic mm -hmm. without being toxic. Well, it, I, I, I was always within that window, but I think I was particularly sensitive maybe for some genetic reasons. So even though on average, that's the window, it probably should have been a little bit lower for me. Uh, I had a, a sort of a delirium, not a sort of, I had a delirium or sort of a delirious psychosis in, in response to it yeah. so basically i would like and and you know it, like you know the fluidly lithium can jack up yeah. the yeah it can jack up the antidepressant too right so lithium may have put the and and, and you're on a psychostimulant i mean just the the soup that you are on is i mean of course yeah. your brain yeah. yeah i mean and you're nine years old at this point i was 12 or 13 12 or 13 at this point. Oh my point. God. Yeah. So I've been going on for several Terrible. years. And, and, and that's why we went to lithium is because nothing else was, was, uh, was appropriate or, or I couldn't do it without the side effects. So yeah, we finally went. Yeah. So then I, so then, um, basically, uh, at that point, then they said, well, the reason that this happened is because your bipolar flared up, it got worse. Um, right. and then you're having psychosis yeah. because you're improperly treated or inadequately treated. Of course. So we need to put you of on an antipsychotic, other things. Maybe you have schizophrenia. So, um, you know, at some point, I think when I was about 16 years old, I had actually seen like world experts at, at some of the most elite medical God. schools to try to figure out what the problem was and figure it out. They were like, just keep treating the symptoms. Um, you know, at some point, I Did just anybody like, I say live. get off live. some of the BS. Did anybody <laughs> say let's get off some of this, some of the, some of it, <laughs> any of it? Yeah. Well, we, there was this one guy who did, but then uh, my parents and like all the other doctors said he was crazy. <laughs> so, so you had to call, you had to call him back and thank him. <laughs> right. So at some point, I mean, at some point, I, I was like, I can't live like this. Like, I wouldn't, even if I'm going to go crazy, because that was the model, like, if you go off these medications, your disease will prog progress, you'll become, like, your brain will shrink, all this other pseudoscience that I was told. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even though I believe that, even though I believe that's a possibility, I was like, I still just can't live this way. I'd just rather see what happens. So then I started, I literally had to cheek everything because I was like watched and made sure that I took the meds. I cheeked it and, and, uh, I did that for like two weeks. And then I like revealed to my parents, Hey guys, I've been off for the last two weeks. And they're like, Oh my gosh, 
like you're doing so well. <laughs> Why are you doing so well and you're off your medications? And then I was like, can we, can we please keep trying to do this? And then we kept doing it. And it was after you, a few you, months, they're like, oh my God, I feel so, they're like, I, we feel so terrible. We can't believe that this yeah. happened. Like, I, I've, I have a feeling you're really, your core issue is the, were you still on Adderall at that point? No, I, I went off everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But I mean, before yeah. you went off, at the point you went off, everything was Adderall your stimulant? Yes. 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 Psychostimulants. Okay, that's what I figured. I've seen, I've yep. seen crazy reactions to Adderall in adolescents. And do you know, do you know the generic name of Adderall? Uh, yeah. It's an amphetamine, amphetamine salts, right? Yeah. Yeah. De Dextroamphetamine yeah, one, salt. Yeah. Dextroamphetamine. <laughs> giving that right, to a 14 right. year old. If you, if you'd gone yeah. out and got, used methamphetamine and got psychotic in a couple of weeks, would anybody have been surprised? <laughs> it's like, right. my goodness. So I, I have grave so, concerns about overprescribing. You know, when I, when I was working at the psych hospital, my first 10 years there, I was running the medical system, and all I did was run around dealing with the side effects of, of medicine, of psycho, psychotropics. That's all I did all day long. Uh, and also, the other thing that's kind of interesting I would do was that about 20% of the time, there was a medical issue, a significant medical issue that was either precipitating, worsening, uh, involved with the psychiatric syndrome in some meaningful way. And so I would often find cancers and heart disease and things like that that was like underlying the depressions or whatever, which uh, again, oh. always listen to your patients. Don't, don't cut, don't shortcut. Do, do systematic analysis, but don't assume every answer is in a pill, which unfortunately, you know, back in those days in psychiatry, I think there was an awful lot of that. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's getting better. I, I don't, uh, I don't really pay attention right now to what's going on in the field, but hopefully it's getting better. Yeah. So after that point, um, you know, uh, I had been kind of a, a failure in school. I would be, obviously for obvious reasons, I would like play video games all day long to escape reality and all that stuff. But then after I got mm -hmm. off all the medications a couple years after, uh, I started to take things very seriously. Uh, I went to like a community mm -hmm. college. I studied really hard. I made like straight A's and then like I applied mm -hmm. to like one school. Uh, because my friends were going there. I didn't know anything about like the colleges or anything. Um, but then like I applied to UT Austin and I, I got into UT Austin cause I like did very well on the SATs and, and had good uh, grades from community college. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, you know, started to think when I was in college, Hey, you know, uh, maybe I should be a doctor. Uh, these things that happened to me were pretty messed up. Maybe I can, uh, do a better job or, or, or improve things somehow. So yeah, then I started thinking about medicine. Um, I became a little bit disaffected by especially what I saw in the psychiatric hospital when I was doing my uh, honors thesis. And I started to mm. read a lot of like really hard left sort of things, like a lot of critical theory, a lot of Foucault. I, you're probably uh, familiar with Foucault. And, and I started to sort of yeah, think F that, Foucault, that the medicine. Foucault has hurt yeah. un, I, it, millions of people. He has harmed, killed millions of people. I mean, his basic principle is that uh, psychiatric illness doesn't work. It doesn't isn't such a thing as a brain disease. Brains get sick right. just the way eyes get sick, the way lungs get sick, the way hearts get sick. They just do. And uh, the the reason we have homeless is you can thank on Michel uh, Foucault. Uh, it, right, it, right, he right. he and the psychoanalysts in the forties and fifties decided that that uh, mental illness didn't exist. It was all caused by institutions, and that is why you have homelessness. That that's what caused that. Right. Uh, right. Whole, so, so then I started becoming called, radicalized. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Read, read a book called American Psychosis. It chronicles that history. American Psychosis. But go ahead. You got radicalized. Yeah, I got radicalized because I read Foucault and a lot of the other critical theorists. This was in sort of the anthropology uh, 
realm of, of academic, uh, you know, academic literature. And then I was like, maybe I shouldn't be a doctor. So I spent like four or five years thinking, you know, medicine was some oppressive institution that was, as you pointed out, like, ca- like maybe causing more problems or, 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 uh, mental illness didn't mm-hmm. exist. We just didn't have enough empathy for difference, et cetera, et cetera, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then at some point I, I, you know, I started to think, you know, even though, uh, maybe these institutions are oppressive or whatever, this is what I was thinking at the time. Uh, you know, maybe I can still make an individual difference. Like I can still make people's lives mm-hmm. better individually, uh, and just do my, do my part. And that can be deeply meaningful. Keep, them, keep them out of the institutions, you, keep them out, give good, good primary care, mm-hmm. whether mental health or primary care, primary care, and keep them out of the hospitals, keep them out. Good. Beautiful. Sure. Yeah. So then, so then, uh, so then I applied to medical school. I did really well on the MCAT. I got like a 99th percentile score. I studied really hard, got into medical school. Uh, and then I started to, you know, that sort of starts to put these two, um, links of the, of the rope together. Then I started to, uh, really appreciate medicine. Actually, I started to see that, uh, my colleagues and the scientists in, in the medical school were, were very serious and they were all dedicated to helping people. Um, medicine does help a lot of people. And so that sort of started to change my perspective, but I did still realize, and I did still understand that misinformation did exist out there. And that's where I started to go onto Twitter and to try to debunk misinformation to try to help people. So, and, and then mm-hmm. at that point, now I'm back to, now I'm back, now I've sort of feel like I've circled back around and, uh, and I'm back at, uh, at this place where, um, you know, I'm questioning the medical establishment a lot more, but hopefully I'm doing so from a more centrist position where, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I realize it's reasonable. You know, yeah. I realize, yeah, yeah. I realize people are trying their best. I don't, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, you are a Fauci fan. Uh, you know, Fauci's trying his best. I think he has certain flaws as a, as a leader, but a lot of those people went into doing those things because they have good intentions and they want to help people. Uh, so, um, and overall, uh, medicine does, I think, get better over time. So, uh, despite these problems, yeah. hopefully I have a more centrist position and, and I'm a little bit more of a, of a moderate critic than I used to be. So that's great. I mean, cause that's usually where truth lies, right? You're trying to ascend to the truth and in, in science, I'm sure you're aware and certainly in clinical practice, hubris is the enemy. Hubris is really an enemy. Certainty is an enemy. You can't, you can't, you can't have certain, you can't have hubris. Uh, you have to have sort of a humility about everything or, or you end up in trouble. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree think, with yeah. that point of view. You, I think you, I think you personally are have tendency to to be what we call an enthusiast. So you have to be careful about your enth- <laughs> yes. the, the yep. enthusiasm yep. that you get enthusiastic yep. about stuff and you go down the rabbit hole, which is yep. a yep. strength. And if you have humility and, hu- and not hubristic about it, it can be quite a strength. So, yep. Yep. Um, I don't know if you know, but uh, enthusiasm used to be an insult back uh, in the 19th century. They used to they used to they used to reserve it for like religious zealots. Those were called enthusiasts. Isn't that funny? Interesting. So n- n- you yeah, know what I mean today? Yeah, we mean something different. Uh, so yeah, no, as I, I we think, go forward, yeah. go ahead, finish. No, I think I think you enthusiasm think? And, and and zealotry was uh, sort of one of the big problems with the COVID response for sure. I mean that that is a yes, heart. of course. Of, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course it is, and and. Uh, and I, I don't know, that, that's what's going to be my next question is what, what do we do to temper that, to, to prevent people from doing, do no harm by living by our, our number one credo, which is do no harm. How, how do we put 
forces in place or you know is it merely as simple as looking back on this thing and everybody being rational and taking responsibility and getting out of their tribes and you know do some sort of you know morbidity and mortality review some giant review that we all do where everyone is welcome at the table and um i don't know i, I don't know what the answer is i, I i'm I, my own personal feeling is we got to try to understand what happened that's 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 certainly job one like really what are the facts what happened here and then if we can maybe try to understand why that happened which i think just us to us doing sort of this sort of uh improv we were doing with the kevin kevin from his previous incarnation i think that kind of thing is very useful it, it lets people sort of look at what, the conversations we couldn't have back then no one would talk no one would have these conversations and maybe we can would have them you know now yeah um yeah <coughs> sorry um yeah that's very interesting i would love it's like we still can't have honestly if you're talking to people who like if i'm on twitter i we still can't a lot of times have open conversations. People are still in denial. I know. I think they're, I know. you know, it's like a, like they're an aggressive, yeah. vicious denial. Like they think I shouldn't be a doctor yeah. because I say that masks have negative effects or that masks work or that masks have potential downsides. They think I shouldn't be a doctor. They're literally people report yeah. me to my medical school for that, you know? So it's like, yeah. we, we need to, I think even more foundationally, in order to even have these conversations that me and you are having, because we, me and you are respectful and civil people, and we understand that if we have a difference of opinion, it doesn't reflect somebody's moral worth. Uh, we need to sort of to re-educate people about what, like, about the, about, about having, um, opinions. Let me, let me see. Sorry. Opinions, having okay. medical opinions, having clinical opinions. Yeah. Having opinions about anything, uh, people's worth is not tied up in the opinions that they have. Just because you have an opinion, no matter how bad I think it is, even if you're the worst, you have the you're you're a Stalinist or you're a Nazi or you think you know whatever the worst opinion you can possibly have. Just because you have those terrible opinions, um, in my opinion, in my belief system, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you have bad opinions and bad beliefs and. Um, you know, we're all flawed as people. Sometimes we make mistakes and being able to talk yeah. to people and talk to people humanely and talk to people in a way yeah. that they can relate to and they can connect with can actually help them to correct those errors and mistakes and shaming people and suppressing people and censoring people doesn't help them. And it certainly doesn't help us because then we don't, are not exposed to that information. So I think right. we need to have a fundamental reappraisal of the way we understand um um morality and the relationship to people's beliefs and morality we need to become more tolerant to, to to views that are different from our own even to the most worst possible thing and once we can do that then yep. we can start having more conversations but that's that's already a, um that's a long ways for a lot of people because i think uh, the universities have not been teaching that. They've been teaching the opposite. They've been teaching that certain views are good and certain views are are wrong and evil. And and if those people have mm. those wrong views, they should be canceled or protest. And I think what the universities are teaching people is destroying our ability to have civil discourse about our differences of opinion. And we have to correct that in order to start having these 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 um these conversations. To to go back to uh what 
what, uh, and actually just a couple days ago, I, I sent Michael a message, Michael Singer, because I talk with Michael a fair bit, like at least once a week and, and sometimes several days uh, a week, uh, because he is, he understands the history of lockdowns better than anybody. Uh, he's, he's very brilliant about that. And I asked him this very question that you're asking me, how do we do things different in the future? How do we avoid this from happening in the future? It's very interesting because as I was pointing out earlier, uh, all the pandemic games that had been happening before that point, lockdowns never figured in. They were considered a little bit, they were, they were considered like far too extreme even to mention in most of the pandemic games. Yeah. And in the other ones, it was only in passing. And so how did it happen that suddenly the Overton window moved so much because of what China did and then what Italy did to, to then say, okay, you can do this in, in Western countries as well. How did, how did that Overton window move so much and how do we allow fear to cloud our ability to think about the downsides, because as I mentioned, this is the third or fourth time I mentioned, we had recognized that there were downsides to pandemic policies forever. We had been recognizing this forever. And then when, when 2020 and COVID hit, suddenly it became almost um, uh, dis disgraceful or shameful to talk about potential downsides. Like you are a bad person and the extreme, the extremes to which we went, to which we thought that the interventions uh, should be all the way up to lockdown suddenly became much more extreme. And I think that happened because of a little bit of fear, a little bit of that we saw that China did it. And how do we, how do we prepare against that? You know, because I think there's something that kind of irrational that happened. We broke free from oh, our yeah. previous uh, rational thinking about pandemics and started doing something completely crazy that we would have never thought yeah. to do just one, just a few months earlier, October 2019, we wouldn't have even thought to do. So how did that happen? And I think that to understand and to avoid that happening again, we need to fully, and this is like my opinion, I don't know if this is realistic, but I think we need to fully understand and acknowledge the extent to which many of these policies had harms. We need to understand the extent and acknowledge how much censoring alternative points of view, some of which were correct, we censored the truth about lockdowns. We censored the mm -hmm. truth about mm -hmm. many aspects of pandemic policy. And then the policymakers themselves said things that were untrue, right? We, we were mm -hmm. saying things that were mm -hmm. untrue and we were censoring the truth. Yeah. We, need to, we need to fully yeah. come to terms with how much, how damaging that was and stop trying to, <laughs> stop basically having this, this culture of, of canceling yeah. and of, of misinformation. Right, Kevin, I, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could yeah. not agree with you more strongly. Somebody asked me, well, somebody asked RFK Jr. what he would do to bring the country together. And I thought his, and I'm not, you know, supporting him either way. I just, he's, has, he's a brilliant guy and he has some interesting ideas. And he said, here's what I would do to bring the country together. Government needs, needs to stop lying. Stop lying to us. No lies, <laughs> truth only at all times. And that will, that would create the, wouldn't these camps are all built on distortions and lack of truth and people trying to establish the truth and then being canceled for it, for saying the truth. It really is just a, it's a, it's a terrible process. Have you, have you looked at Matthias Desmet stuff about mass formation? I, I'm familiar with the name and I'm familiar with uh, what Malone talks about. And I think mass formation is such an interesting and informative concept. I think that's probably you, something you ought to, like you that. You ought to look at his stuff. Yeah. You ought to look at his stuff because okay. he, was, he, was, he was formulating his ideas long before pandemic, long before. He was really just trying to understand how things take hold amongst a population and how they are be persuaded to do stupid shit. 
And uh, and when this came, he went, oh, here it is. It's happening right now in front of my eyes. And then people, of course, canceled him. <laughs> they called, canceled him. called him a quack and a grifter. Yeah, of course. Right, of course. right. They would have um, these fact check articles, these ridiculous fact check articles like fact check. Uh, a mass formation psychosis is just something he came up with. And like, yeah, it's yes. something he came up with. Like, what are you talking yes, about? Yes, like, it is. This is his idea. That's right. He had yeah. been writing about it for years. That's right. We might want to look at that. So let's let's finish up by talking a little vaccine. Where I, I'm having, I you know I I vaccinate. I've, I've said this. You know, upsets a lot of my listeners. I I've vaccinated and boosted all my elderly patients. I've seen no real adverse events amongst the elderly. I've seen some real benefits in terms of being in some very complicated, you know, multi multiple diagnosis medical situations where because of liver problems whatnot i can't use paxlovid or other antivirals and i was very very grateful that my patients in those complex settings had been vaccinated i've seen the illness be more uh, mild uh, in the vaccinated group i've seen paxlovid work i've seen the rebound in all the rebound from paxlovid is a real thing i've seen that so much now it's ridiculous uh but it's better than the initial infection and so we have thoughts, you know, and of course, Omicron is much, 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 much milder than, uh, and, and we don't have randomized controlled trial. Yes, you guys that are going to start screaming at me on Restream, we don't have the RCTs to document that it maybe isn't just milder because of the Omicron. Possible, possible. I'm just saying that clinically, my judgment is these are complicated situations, and I'm sometimes I'm willing to take a little risk reward, uh, but I'm not willing to do harm to a 30 year old where, where I don't understand what the benefits are, and I don't fully see the risks yet. And, and I've seen a lot of stuff happen that really concerns me. And then there are now there's camps in this whole world now too. People reporting horrible things from the vaccines and report and people reporting rosy things. <laughs> Nothing from the vaccine. I, I and and I've seen medical literature um, not publish things that should have been published. Uh, and so I get worried about things I'm not seeing. Where, where how do you make? What are your peers saying? What do other medical students say? What are you thinking about all this? The Parallel Economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price that is drdrew.com p-e-t-c-l-u-b 247 pet club 247 well right now I, I i haven't integrated with sort of the the medical student stream things i i do there are people who are medical students who are 
and in, and there are infectious disease doctors, um, some old friends from from undergrad who are I have infectious disease doctor friends who agree with me. There are of course people who disagree with me. I don't know what my guess would be among medical students if I just had to wildly guess is that they're they broadly you know a, a, a you know they we tend to believe everything <laughs> we tend to believe everything we're told as medical students. We don't have time to yeah. question things, yeah. right? We're too busy yeah. uh, studying right. for the exams to question anything. So that's just yeah. sort of the nature of yeah. medical training. But at least at the, yeah, at the undergrad level, um, yeah. But yep. uh, but um, you know uh, it it is it is interesting because the the whole Freeman et al article. I'm sure you're uh, familiar with it. I was talking to Joseph Freeman uh, recently, and apparently the and, and uh, not a trial but a study. It's a study that was that and Moderna and the Pfizer um, studies uh, using different criteria for adverse events than the ones that they used. It had uh, Sander uh, Greenland, who is a, a legendary epidemiologist, maybe one of the top five epidemiologists of the time, uh, had uh, several very distinguished people who wrote the paper. They found a rate of severe adverse events for the uh, mRNA vaccine, the COVID mRNA vaccine of about one in 800 which is unheard of almost among vaccines. Vaccines get pulled off for uh, adver adverse events of, of on the order of one in 10,000, one in 100,000. Potentially the COVID vaccine has a rate of one in 800. And uh, Joseph was telling me that uh, if he had submitted this today, uh, it wouldn't have gotten published in the same journal. They just got lucky because that particular journal for, I think, uh, I want to say like somebody had a personal, like one of the editors had like a personal bad experience with the vaccine or something like that. So they wanted to publish something like that. So in general, papers that are critical of these things and papers that are uh, objectively analyzing many of the potential downsides, even apart from vaccines, are are not being published and 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 there's a se severe career liability for doing so. In fact, I talked to one guy who published about the lockdowns, uh, how they potentially cause more harm than good in the UK. And he literally nearly lost his marriage over it, over one paper that he published. So, so, um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I personally have gotten, uh, three vac vaccines, uh, three doses, uh, on my third dose, I got, um, uh, pericarditis though, uh, uh, you know, a month or two afterward, that's due to the vaccine itself where, we're not actually sure, but, um, yeah, I got, I got pericarditis. Uh, my kids all got their vaccine doses. Um, and I, and I tell my grandma, uh, and I tell my parents to make sure that my grandma gets her regular boosters because she's 90 years old and the slightest, uh, nudge and shove to her might knock yeah. her over and she may die. So she, I, I, she gets the boosters, but people who are young, especially get, we're not really able to have a good conversation about the vaccines anymore. We don't have enough, in my opinion. I don't know, like we have enough data on the severe adverse events, especially given the Freeman et al. article. Uh, and then there's some really well-documented, really well-studied, relatively well-studied uh, risks with respect to myocarditis and pericarditis in young people. And I think that it's quite unclear what the relative risk to reward ratio is among young people in particular. That's right. Uh, that's exactly, I think among the elderly that's been my, people, that's you, been my problem. The, yeah. That has been that has been what I've been very right, concerned right. about. I, I again back to do no harm. I, I yeah. don't. I just want to get that risk reward right, and they've just not given us the yeah. data to be able to say that. 
and uh, and I've seen uh, I've seen people debilitated with these weird wasting syndromes. I have seen neurological symptoms. I've seen lots of uh, strange uh, rhythm disturbances where people have to get ablations when they're forty years old. Lots of that, and, and not not at the. And by the way, strange like three. You know, I don't know if there's. You know, uh, there's superventricular arrhythmias. You know, anything over 150, you're you're in the zone. But these are like 300 beats per minute. It's very, very strange, very rapid rhythms. And um, I don't know. I I, I still I I just worry about it. That's all. And we don't seem to be moving the 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 goal. We don't seem to be moving towards the end zone in terms of figuring out the risk reward. I, I just don't see us doing it. I, I, maybe I I don't know. I don't know what's holding us back. I don't get it. It's it, it's it's. I think. It's controversial even to talk about what we're talking about right now. Like it's controversial wow. to be having this conversation right now. Uh, that's crazy. Ask that question. That's considered like mm. anti-vax. We're, we're anti-vaxxers right now, true. <laughs> so just to ask these questions and try to get try and to by, get and the by the way, right, and by the way, trust me, trust me. I hear from the anti-vaxxers too. So 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 we get screwed <laughs> on both. We get right. crushed on both ends. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. The anti-vaxxers. Yeah. The anti-vaxxers. Yeah. We're we're being way too nice about the vaccine for yeah. the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think there is hope and I'm, I'm an optimist. Uh, sometimes I'm pessimistic, but like the vast majority of the time I'm very optimistic. Uh, I think there's hope here because I think that the narrative about COVID is shifting along all sorts of dimensions, whether it's school closures, masks, uh, in many ways over the last few weeks, the narrative is shifting. And once that, once that dam breaks open and open in those places, there's a potential for us to revisit the question with regard to vaccines once people are ready for it. And I think there's a potential that people will be ready for it soon. So I'm, I'm, and I'm hopeful, by the way, though. I try to respond. I try to set all the records straight where we possibly can. There's uh, somebody alleging that you were giving paid medical consultations before you got your license. Talk to me about that. So I had a on about, about like, I think I had a consultation page where, um, and that's, that. yeah, I've never, that consultation page that many people or some people who don't like me post where I like say, I think like a thousand dollars or something. I've never gotten a consultation through that. Um, there was one person where, um, and, and in general, this, this service is off. I, I just don't have to, to do it. But in general, if people have questions about the science with respect to certain health issues, uh, not necessarily well, it's usually the ones that they have, but I give people information. Here's what the scientific literature says about that. But they're always working with a doctor. It's never like me telling them what the uh, health advice is. So, for example, there's this one guy. This is the only time I've ever done this. Uh, he has elevated LP little a. Um, he was working with uh, the foremost expert on LP little, little a. His name is Smikas. He's at um, uh, UCSD. Uh, he was working with him. He was only able to see him, I think like once a year because, uh, this guy is, you know, he's the world expert and he, and he sees a lot of patients. So he had a very long waiting list. So he wanted to talk to me and, and get my input and my thoughts before he went to see Tzmikas again. Uh, you know, what are some potential things that he could do to reduce his LP little a, we went through a lot of the literature about like niacin and some other stuff. And, and I, and I said, uh, you know, I just like laid out, here's what the evidence says, here's what you could do potentially. Um, here's what the evidence gaps are. Um, you know, go talk to Samikas about it. I'm interested, he says, 
uh, once you hear back from him. But in general, like I have all these ideas about the ways that I want to monetize, but I'm too, uh, and the reason is, is I'm very poor. So I don't have any money. I don't have a working car. My car recently broke down. It was a 1997 Dodge Caravan. Poor, trying to find ways to monetize, but because I'm just so passionate about the science, I, I generally don't uh, spend enough time on that. So I don't actually uh, do many. <laughs> So, so now that that consultation page has now been changed to from $1,000. So if somebody wants to have uh, some consultations for me for a million dollars, they can. This will be only the science and not any medical advice. It's sort of a, a spoof <laughs> on, on, on the way that my critics are, are, uh, are, are, are attacking me about that. But yes, if you want to do it for $1 million, that would be great. I could buy a house. Um, but yeah, that's where I am. <laughs> Get through medical school. Um, uh, uh caleb you have a question i hear you coming in there no no it just it reminded me of like my old business website where i put caleb nation will only accept up to two new clients per year when it's like i'm gonna take any client mm -hmm. that comes to me on my website when i was a kid i had my own like mm -hmm. design business i was doing it was just to to kind of build up your profile it doesn't mean you know that you're actually giving medical advice and all of that stuff it's part of your website so i, I can see why people would question it but it's kind of the same it's yeah you well know, you gotta keep you gotta Push, push out there what you're actually doing. So as far as yeah. LP little a, are you uh, in the insulin camp with LP little a and uh, reducing carbohydrates and all that stuff? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I remember that there's this whole, I think you had Dave Feldman on, right? I, I mean, I, I did Feldman. have Dave Feldman, but, but I, I, Peter Atiyah has got a new book out uh, that's called Outlive. Okay. It's really good. Okay. He gives a really good analysis of lipids. And um, yeah, I think I have a little LP little a problem, although I've never measured it. Oh, so, so, uh, that's interesting. So Peter thinks that re reducing carbohydrates is going to reduce your LP little a, he thinks that's a good, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, I don't want to misrepresent. I, I'd have to really go back to his book. I I've just Feldman kind of convinced me that that was a thing. And, yeah. and I know Feldman and Atia have conflict on a lot of stuff, but I'm yeah, just wondering where yeah, you yeah. are in this. Uh, uh, I haven't looked up that particular management strategy with, with respect to LP little a, I do know that dietary uh, changes, uh, whether they have been low carb. I've seen people who have dramatic reductions in their LP literally from low carb. I've also seen it from people who do whole food plant-based diets. It's unclear in my opinion, what the mechanisms are that, uh, modulate LP little a from a, a nutritional perspective. That's actually really, there's actually like almost no good evidence on this. There's some, some mechanistic mm. papers, uh, but there's no real good, uh, interventional studies that have, have, have teased apart what the various nutritional factors are that modulate LP little. I'm convinced that it does happen though, because I've seen, uh, several anecdotes of that, of that happening. So that's all I have to say on that. Interesting. So, uh, listen, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for coming in here. Uh, I would love to talk to you after you've done about a year of, uh, rotations to see how it changes your perspective on things. Uh, it, it'll be a really interesting experience for you. Uh, being, being able to have a scientific mind when you're on your feet in the wards is extremely, uh, helpful, extremely helpful because you're, you're problem solving all day on your feet, uh, and you've got to build a, you know, sort of an automatic kind of internal, um, instinctive relationship with the clinical experience. And, and you have to, it has to be founded in good thinking and, you know, uh, all the things you're going to learn when you're out on the ward. So it'd be very interesting to hear your experience. Anything before I wrap up? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, be open 
be, I just hope that your listeners are, uh, can be open to alternative points of view, including the ones that they hate the most. I think that uh, our personal this is growth, free speech. We, I, we in this country, we all we all just called that free speech until the recent five years or so. I, I don't know where this, what we got infected with that made us to change the notion of free speech. But on a personal note, you're going to say, well, I, I think um, I, I, this. I think we're back in a phase of our culture where we need to be persuaded again and understand the value of free speech. And so I was just saying, mm. um, I hope that people understand that it's often in the places that we reject the most or we are uh, disagree about the most, those areas, those thoughts, those ideas, those concepts can often be the place where we uh, grow the most as people once we open ourselves to those things. So that is the ultimate value of opening yourself to uh, alternative points of view. Sometimes that's exactly what you need. So that's all I'll say. All right, we will leave it at that. And I, I thank you. And people can see you at Kevin N. Bass on Twitter. And your Substack again? Kevin in, or Kevin Bass, K-E-V-I-N-B-A-S-S. But I don't really publish anything on my Substack right now. Uh, I just focus on COVID right. stuff and mostly on Twitter. Cool. I'll be watching you and hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Drew. And Appreciate as a reminder, Nicole Sapphire next week, uh, Peter McCullough. And so interesting. Victory in here. Right? It's, it's, I, I, that's why I liked his, his Twitter threads. They were just very thoughtful and interesting and hearing his thinking about Yeah, but how, like his, his background, like, sheesh. Oh, when it, what happened to him when he was a kid? Yes. I, I used to, listen, I spent, ran around the psychiatric hospital taking people off meds all day long. That's and what thank I Thank God for community college. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean... I had ADD and I never used anything, but I don't know. I got pretty far with it. Yep. Yes, you did. I was a pain in the ass when I was a kid. So what did you find interesting? Well, I just, you know, I, I feel sorry for him for, you know, having to put up with the, the Twitter mobs and stuff. It's, you know, we're, we're in a position where we're so used to it over the years with, with just press and you, we've been maneuvering our whole life through this kind of thing, but it's just sad to hear people who are trying to make a difference that are just but he's got a pretty good attitude about it i mean no, he does he yeah. does and i'm i'm glad that we can finally talk about it yeah i i want to i once he gets further into medical school i'd be very interested to hear what his peers are thinking what he thinks now that he has some clinical training it's it, th that third year changes you dramatically it, everything every the i would say the third year of medical school and then you're really kind of your move from intern to resident those first few months of residency are very very intense all right, everybody, we have, I said, seems no, smart enough. We have uh, Peter McCullough coming by tomorrow, Nicole Sapphire on Tuesday. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up. Check us out. Be sure to sign up at drdrew.tv and follow at, do, at Dr. Drew, for, at Ask Dr. Drew for updates on shows and guests. And we will see you. It's now Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock Pacific. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. 
If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 